Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Walk Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tilford, joined by James Dows. Hey. Hey, and Josh Brown. Trick or treat, <laughs> James Dows is here. Lazy. Um, now, we should say that Mr. James Dallas is doing this podcast and has important business for a good few weeks in the future. We don't know. That's the true horror of this podcast. What? Is, it, we is, don't his, is his computer back. broken uh, again? Yeah. Is it? I'm just skiving. I don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. Um, but we thought we'd talk about horror stuff um, for the main podcast because Halloween's right around the corner. And Mr. JB, as a big horror aficionado, wanted to do a conversation about how effective horror can be in video games, which is a sentiment that I massively agree with. I think uh, video game horror is the best horror. But I also Ooh. think video games do everything better anyway. So oh. who even needs books when you've got words elsewhere? But I think in regards to horror stuff, um, video games can have an edge, which is something that you wanted to break down. 100% Scott Telford. Every single Halloween week, every single year, mm. I get to brute force a Halloween topic <laughs> onto this podcast. And I look forward to you it do. with glee every single time. But yes, I've been recently playing a game called Madison, which friend of ours, Ash Millman, actually sent to me via mail. Nice. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, and it's been really good, but it got me thinking, is horror gaming the last bastion of being kind of like truly scared by mm. something? Because I love horror in all of its forms, in books, in games, in movies, in television, Gated. right? In Gateshead. <laughs> Certainly in Gateshead. Exactly yeah. outside of our office every single day. <laughs> I've seen some sights. Um, however, I will argue that in the movie realm in particular, nothing scares me like it used to. You know, mm. whether that's because we just know how these movies are made, whether because we've seen so much, or whether we just know the tricks of the trade too well, I can still get scared. I watched Smile recently. I was just going to bring yeah. up Smile. And I was in the cinema, and I was getting frightened. But it wasn't the same kind of primal fear, great series, by the way, yes. that I used to feel watching things like The Exorcist for the first time, where mm. I would take it home with me. However, when I play a good horror game, I feel it, man. I feel mm. the fear in my bones, and I think it's because horror gaming is more of an active medium. You yes. are an active participant in that. And I just wanted to ask you guys about that, because I've seen some people online who said that, they actually feel the opposite. They don't get scared by horror games because there's no real kind of consequences to their actions because if they get caught and if they die and have to restart the checkpoint, mm. that's the tension gone forever because you know right, okay. there's nothing on the end of it. You can gamify it. You can kind mm. of 
see the matrix, as it were, and I am the exact opposite. You know, even yeah, if totally. I get knocked back to a checkpoint, the fear is still there. You still got to overcome whatever the thing is. One hundred percent. Yeah, James, okay. thoughts on the uh, old? I horrors? agree with what they say. Oh, it's not a genre that I can get into because I'm either I'm just miserable and I can't get into the mindset of a horror game because you've got to turn off everything in your head yes. to be in that world and be immersed. Mm-hmm. And if you're not immersed, it's not a the most enjoyable experience, in my opinion. Uh, like recently I played, oh God, that Neighbor game. Hello Neighbor, Secret Neighbor. Yeah, Hello Neighbor is a thing. That thing, yeah. Because uh-huh. that's meant to be a horror game. And like there's the tension of him chasing after you and whatever. And I was like, oh, well, this is scary. But then he caught me and then I reset and then... That was it. That was the tension gone. That's fascinating that that's like a shared uh, thing. That yeah. like the idea of like the checkpointing or the idea of respawning or whatever it is like takes away the threat because yeah. then you you've not conquered it, but like you've gamified it to the point where like it's not like a ephemeral horror. Like it, it's got boundaries, mm-hmm. and then that makes it unscary. Or I not must scary. admit, it has happened to me a few times, only in a couple of games. Mm. One was in Outlast Two, a horror game that I really love for its imagery and kind of its scares. Mm-hmm. But because that expanded upon the gameplay of Outlast One, where you can't fight back against enemies. You've got to run and hide, mm-hmm. and you've got to get through, um, in my opinion, quite poorly designed level yeah. layouts where you mm-hmm. don't know where the exit is or where you're supposed to go, so you're kind of fumbling in the dark. It's like intentional to a point. It is, yeah. but it means that you get caught a lot, and it means you are restarting those sections a lot. And it, for me, in that game specifically, it sucked the tension out, yeah, as did... Yeah. PT, the latest stages of PT, one of my favorite horror games ever. Some of the most scared I've ever been playing anything mm. or watching anything. However, when you're trying to figure out the obtuse puzzles towards the end of that experience, it was immediately sucked out because then I was thinking of it as a game. I wasn't mm. thinking as a, of it as something I'm living through almost or experiencing. We should, uh, yeah, talk about like not knowing what the rules are. Because it's like once you identify the rules, like you identify the respawn rule, the checkpointing rule, whatever it is, that for me ties into why horror in film is very rarely effective. Because it's like jump scares I've started to hate because like I'm not reacting to anything other than just volume. Like if I just yelled right now, I'm not going to do it. But if I yelled <laughs> right now, you'd have a reaction. But yeah. you'd be like, oh my God, it's just the noise it's nothing yeah. and uh, and I that like I just think that's really lazy and there was a couple of really really like over the top jump scares in Smile which are the, an otherwise well designed film um, but there's parts in that where it's just like it's a zombie face and a big sound thing and like or someone yelling or whatever and I'm just like we've, we've it's 2022 like yeah. how are we still relying on this but that's where psychological horrors in my opinion are better because right. they mm. mess with your head mm-hmm. and like not a jump scare doesn't scare me but like if afterwards I'm disturbed Mm. Like, um, not to jump on the trends of now, but that Dharma documentary right. uh, mm-hmm. series, that was scary as hell because it was just so depressing and mess with your head. That was scarier as a horror to me than a horror film. See, that feeling of being disturbed, that's kind mm. of what I'm chasing, and it's, and it's what I'm not getting from movies. Like I, yeah. like I said, right. I watch a lot of horror movies, and I do, again, agree that you know psychological horror is way more effective when it's effective. But even now, sometimes I watch a really well-made horror movie where there's like a scare in the background, just off screen, that's supposed to unsettle you. And I say the words, that's unsettling, that's disturbing, <laughs> but I don't feel that's it. That's it when you talk about it. And they go, that's funny. Exactly. Is it? Yeah. Is that why you're not laughing? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, it's funny, is it? Totally, yeah. it's like, my brain is understanding it as being 
being unsettling, yeah. but I'm not feeling it in mm. my heart. You know what I mean? I'm not feeling it that way. And that's kind of why I support jump scares because yeah. jump scares in my numbed old age are still, they still get me. They still get me on that primal level. They still okay. get the chemicals whirring in my brain. You're just reacting to sound though, right? Well, not always. Mm. In the case of Smile, you're talking about like the zombie face being there and I'm reacting to the jolt of it. I'm mm. reacting to the sound. But also, you don't get that response, I don't think, if you don't perfect the build-up to it. Like, yes, you can get something that comes out of nowhere, mm. but I don't think that stays with you in a way, in, in, in the same way as a jump scare that is perfectly built up to. There is one moment in Smile that yeah, I won't yeah, yeah. spoil, but it's in the trailers, yep. so if you've seen it, you might know, where someone is walking towards the camera, and it builds the tension so well, and the payoff... Yep. The visual of it is so disturbing. So alongside the sound, alongside the kind of, you know, core sort of human response, you know, primal response. I keep saying that a lot. Mm -hmm. Like it still worked as a horror moment and a horror set piece because it nailed everything else around it. It wasn't purely working on a sensory thing. Well, that was my thing with Smile was that it had the one where the main character is just in her apartment and everything goes really quiet and you're just waiting for the jump. And it's like, that's not, for me, that's not how to do a jump scare anymore. That's boring. Right. That's just, that's what right. Halloween 2018 did over and over and over again. I just got so bored by it. Like as soon as the, all the sound drains out and we're in complete silence, I'm just waiting for the spike. And then I just do what you did. I'm like, yeah, there it is. Like, okay, like what, what else have you got? Have you got anything else other than just volume? Yeah. And then whereas the other one in smile that you just described, the one involving where the character sat in the car, was incredibly effective because it was entirely reliant on a visual. Um, and there is music accompaniment to that, but the thing that sticks with you and the reason that that jump scare is being talked about is because of the visual that you get. And it's such a unique visual as well, like for the most part, the way that it, the actual uh, prop is assembled or whatever to pull that thing off. And I'm being really vague, but it's really effective. <laughs> if you've not seen it, you should check it out in Smile. Um, I want to say do a thing about um, reveals as well. I think it's like, where do you guys like come down on, should you see the horror itself? Like, like do you find it more or less effective when they do reveal what the ghost looks like, what the monster looks like. What was that film? Was it Insidious where there was that devil? Yes, the Darth Maul looking fella. That thing. When it, <laughs> oh, yeah. There was obviously the jump scare in that, which fair enough, that was a bit scary. But do you know when it went down into his basement and he was like, uh, doing his weapons and all that stuff. I'm, is that the right film? I, I maybe. I can't when remember. It's been a long um, time since I've seen Insidious. Uh, Tiptoe Through the Tulips is playing. Yes, is that the, that's yeah. the one, yeah. That bit was scary because it was this ominous music that's meant to be happy head with that visual that was creepy to me yes mm -hmm. but a jump scare doesn't scare me really like that ah, just, yeah it's just yeah. music ah, just noise sorry so when you say the visual there where you're saying that is it the visual that's scary if it's a scary visual like that in a depressing setting mm. that scares me because right. I will shout out super quickly. I know this, they're not going to make this a film podcast. Obviously, they're so intertwined. Obviously, like horror originated. Well, it doesn't originate in film, but you know what I mean? They're borrowing techniques from film. My favorite horror film, one of my favorite films of all time is The Thing, the second one, the 1982 one, and um, the remake one. Um, of the original, re the original. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. The thing that everyone talks about, not the newest thing or the original thing, John the thing. Carpenter's the thing. Yeah, big yeah, cops. That and uh, that thing, I am, um, that movie very, I don't think relies on jump scares at all. It's all practical effects. It's all horrible visuals. It's all really good, effective. There's heads coming off this thing and oh my God, what the hell's happening? Now it's sprouting legs. What is this creature? Um, that walks such a perfect line of showing you exactly what you're up against, but you still don't know what it is and then not relying on jump scares. I know there are maybe a couple in that movie, but the vast majority Majority of why that thing is unsettling. The petri dish, isn't there? Where yes. He stabs the petri and then waiting for like you know not knowing who's the yeah. the the thing. 
literally. Um, <laughs> and I think that's such an effective thing to do. And I always think that any creative, whether it's in games or movies or whatever, you have to have a certain level of confidence to, to steer into it and go, we're going to reveal what this thing is. Smile eventually does it, not to give that away and what the thing is. But like having the uh, confidence to do that, I always appreciate that. Um, however, I will mention, to bring it back to games for a little bit or alongside, um, Amnesia, A Machine for Pigs. It was one of the first games I ever reviewed. And that game I thought was incredibly effective um, at building an atmosphere. You're sort of in this Victorian... Um, uh, you know, environments or whatever, and you're going down all these cobbled streets, and you're new, you know that you're being pursued by something, but you can't tell what it is, and you keep hearing it behind you, and it kind of sounds like a pig, but it kind of sounds like a like a man or something. You have no idea what this thing is, and every now and then you'll go into a room and you'll shut the door behind you and you move forward, and you'll hear them rattling at the door behind you, but you can't go back to see what it is. It builds so so well, and I know I talk about this uh, once in a chatty faces, but the reveal of what that thing is absolutely broke the game because there's one bit where you're in a dark room and you know it's in there with you, or at least according to the, the uh, noises it's making. It sounds like it's in there with you. And I just turned around to be like, right, let me just see what this is. And the character model they'd used or the render they'd used for that creature was one of those barely effective, like just weird, tiny little pig men that was just terrible. And I was like, oh, is that all it is? I could I could flick that away, to be honest. <laughs> and that was nothing. So I just, like, it like it depends. I, I'm all for playing your cards. Um, I think it's rare. I'm trying to think of examples where horror that didn't go anywhere, quote unquote, um, was still worked. Like, I, I like something to be there. That's interesting because... I agree and disagree. Like, mm. there are some times where I, I love a big reveal. Like, there yeah. is a great... There are a few reveals in Madison where you finally see something, and it's really well built up to. You might catch fleeting images now and again, you mm. know, like like an arm here or like a, a kind of visage in, in the distance, in the shadows here, and then you'll get the big jump scare of the face. But it's funny how if you isolate that on the box art, which this does, this right. shows the monster on the back of the box. If you're just looking at it, Looks goofy as hell. Like right. you, you think, why would I ever be scared of this? But it's the for me, it's the build up to mm. that reveal. I yep. think for me, anything can be scary. If we go back to movies for a second, the Babadook as a figure. If you just look at Mister Babadook himself, uh, I, I would argue it's not that scary because that's what killed that film for me. Yeah. Right yeah. there we go because it's inspired by you know classic uh, monster movies and horror movies such as The Cabinet of Doctor Caligari. It's very kind of like silent e- era. Uh, Chira. Something I can't remember. Chiris, no, Kurosawa. No, it's not. No. <laughs> That's my, a different my, human. Yeah, my mind is going to Kurosawa. Yeah, uh, I can't remember how to pronounce this thing. But the point is, the shadows—they're all very reminiscent of old movies. So if you just look at it, you might think that's not scary, but it worked for me in the context of the film because they had so much more around it. It was the way the camera built up to the reveal. It was the sound effects. It was the voice. It was the way it was draped in shadow, mm-hmm. associating it with other things. And that's kind of the same thing in games for me. If you just look at the character model, especially in older games, you know, like PS1, PS2 era games where the rendering tech just ain't there yet. Yeah. Like you Your can mind just, will fill the gaps, though. I think that's, that's really that's effective. It. You can just kind of like point out and say that doesn't look scary, but in the context of the game, really, really works for me personally. And I wonder, I think that goes back to what you were saying, James Dowse, of you kind of needing to be in the mindset to like be scared. Like I think Mm. I could never stream horror games, I don't think. Or if I could, I would have to stream ones like Resident Evil or something because I wouldn't feel as immersed as I need to be to properly invest in the fiction and if you were commenting on everything yeah yeah, that is currently uh on display not to slam any horror streamers of course like i just say that personally um 
I don't think I would have the talent to be able to separate mm-hmm. the idea that I'm on camera versus the idea that I'm supposed to be also in this world. Mm-hmm. Can I say that that is kind of what has put me in this mindset? YouTube from like 2010 to 14. Um, growing up, PewDiePie was a big one who mm-hmm. always used to play Amnesia and... Um, Oh, what's it called? The Slender Lanky Man. Man. Yeah, that thing. Lanky Man. <laughs> the um, UK variant, yeah. <laughs> and when I'd watch it as a young whippersnapper me, like he'd be screaming around and I'd be like, why is he screaming? And mm-hmm. that to me was more cringe inducing right. than actually being like, oh, he's actually scared. Yeah, I'd watch it and yeah. it would pain me inside just seeing him scream in his bedroom. There's a lot of p- p- performative approaches yeah. to horror, yeah. So if I was to play a game, like if a friend came around and he started screaming at the TV, I'd be like, lad, shut up. <laughs> Like, maybe that's just me being boring, but, like, people, like, getting that immersed and screaming about, I think it's just so fake after watching really? YouTube. Really? Right. I tell you what, like, YouTube yeah. has ruined it for me. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I think people go, like, oh, this is, I'm supposed to be scared by this, therefore I will steer into that yeah. as much as possible, and it becomes, like, this more performative thing. Yeah. Um, which I guess, like, to me, that's what the likes of jump scares cater to, because you can scream in reaction to it, oh, my God, and, like, absolutely freak out and everything. Um, speaking of old-school horror, though, I want to talk about, like, PS1 horror, PS2 horror, um, and tank controls, and taking... Um, uh, movement options away from you and like making it so that you're stuck with something in a room or you're stuck trying to get away from something or fight something. I find that to be really, really effective. I know we've mentioned it on a few podcasts over the years. Um, but James, that's where you come down on that stuff. Uh, Tomb Raider 1 on the PS1 mm-hmm. where you're in a room with a dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> Hell, that was so scary. Yeah, it's like really a effective. Child, that was very scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was horror. That's horror. <laughs> that's what I want to see. I'm stuck with awful graphics. We were talking there about, you know, like you, you, your brain filling things in. Yeah. I think you're right. It's to a point, though, because the original Alone in the Dark is hilarious. It looks like a bunch of sandwiches have come to life. Like, that it's terrible. True. That is true. Not helped by its, like, color palette. Like, that's no. a really colorful game. And I like it, but it's not scary. Not no, scary yeah. in the same way that the first Silent Hill, in my opinion, still it is scary because, again, you don't have the rendering techniques, but something like the fog in Silent Hill mm. or even the darkness in Tomb Raider 1 because mm. you can't render, like, more yeah. than five feet in front <laughs> of your eyes. That dinosaur literally comes out the pitch black at you, doesn't oh, yeah. it? Like, yeah, it just yeah, yeah. comes out of nowhere, and then you suddenly see it fully formed. Like, that kind of manipulation of the play space, I think, is really effective because mm-hmm. you're, like you said, Scott, you know, your brain starts to fill in the blanks mm-hmm. and you you can't, you don't have a full understanding of the space or the rules of the game at that point. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. I think, like, I, I, I kind of, I don't actively miss that because it was such an awkward way to control a game, but I think for horror, um, it's really effective. It's why I'm so curious what they're going to do with Sound Hill 2 because I know they've shown, like, some over-the-shoulder stuff, but it kind of seems like it's part of the trailer reveal and it's like, you know, Resident Evil 2, the remake, is a hell of a lot easier to get through than the original Resident Evil 2. Um, for many reasons, but I think in regards to controls, that's always a, a thing. Um, I, I realize I've actually got something to say about Resident Evil. Do I, it. Uh, I've not played any of them, as you may or may not I know. I don't know if you knew that. I no. think you did. I think you did. You're, you're gonna have to I've play. mentioned it before. Yeah, you're going to have to play <laughs> some Resident Evil. The only one I've ever Evil. played is the 3DS ones. Oh, James Dow. Yeah, this is all new information. Nah, you nah. put that Wii U down. <laughs> <laughs> Best console ever. Um, uh, Horrifying. Yeah, so I went on the PlayStation Plus thing recently, and yes. uh, Resident Evil 1 Director's Cut was on there. And I was like, fine, oh, I wouldn't start finally with that. play it. Right. And holy moly, it's boring as <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah. boring. Yeah. I get it and I respect it. I didn't expect the cheese at the beginning of like, this person's going to be playing Jill and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and then going 1997 through, was a different yeah, time. But yeah, but going through a door and it takes 15 minutes. But <laughs> on. on the other side of that door was a zombie who was like eating this man's face. And that was like, whoa, that's a bit, that is a bit scary. I get it. Right. 
Don't um, please bleh, play Resident Evil 2 remake. I'm already going through it now. Okay. That's better than playing the original Resident Evil. I no, wouldn't that to... I'm going through the Resident Evil original. Oh, in, in a row? Yeah. Okay. I don't know why. Does that mean you'll do Resident Evil 2 Remake after you've played all the other ones to get to where... Because like, no, that came out in 2019? Whatever's on that PS Plus thing. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. It, yeah. Just any of the other... As much as I'm praising tank controls in 2022 to give someone a slab of Resident Evil, it wouldn't be the original for don't me. Don't listen to this, man. Resident Evil 1 Director's Cut can still be really good. He just tried it and didn't like it. <laughs> It's but the doors that get me, man. A lot to, lot to take in on your first go, I think. Because it is antiquated, but I think mm. if you get into a flow with it, you might start I, to enjoy it. It is very much a product of its time. I, I appreciate that. Because uh, every t- every now and again, <laughs> I go back to Tomb Raider 1, and I appreciate that for what it was. Right. And this is very much the exact same. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, like, I just went into, above the dining room, I pushed a statue off. Yeah. And then I went down and collected a gem. That was cool. Well, let's <laughs> let's talk about this, right? Because it, Resident Evil is one of my favorite franchises of all time. Same. But on its surface, I don't think it's scary in terms of its story and imagery. Like, I'm scared of some zombies. Mm-hmm. And in the presentation of those early games is really strong. Mm-hmm. But it, the story itself, like you mentioned there about the character selection right at the very beginning, <laughs> it's just rooted in B-movie tropes. Yeah, you've yeah, got yeah. big snakes, you've got big spiders. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, it's very silly and very goofy intentionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, I think it's made scary by the mechanics themselves, by the tank controls, by the limited inventory. And it's the act of playing it, I think, that's scary yes. rather than what you're being shown. And I do think some of the later games kind of like lose that because the imagery on its own, again, this is all my opinion, doesn't necessarily like get to the heart of fear, but being trapped in that mansion and knowing that you have a hallway of zombies to get through Mm -hmm. or big spiders or whatever, and there's a save point on the other side of it and only having a couple of bullets left. To me, that's where the tension comes from. That's where I get genuinely fearful of what's going to happen to my character, to my progress, I guess. Yeah, I, well, that's, yeah, the whole other thing about the saving system. I think that also factors into it. It's, oh my God, this thing's going to kill me and I'm going to go back like 20 minutes or whatever. PS Plus ruined that because you can rewind. Whoa. Oh, that's good though. Yeah. I mean, oh my God, I hate the whole ink ribbon save system. Dude. Oh, dude, of course. Like, oh, it's just an awkward thing. <laughs> For me, like my whole checkpoint hating thing, that's like, the, oh, I hate that. Like, I hate I hate losing any progress. <laughs> Put me right back where I was. That's why you don't like Returnal, isn't it? I hate Return with the Past. That thing's <laughs> oh god, it that's a great me. horror game. It is. It yeah. Is. yeah. Oh god. Oh, here we god. go. Go outside now. It was horrifying. James, oh. I was talking to me about Returnal, please. You know about Returnal. <laughs> Both of you know about the Returnal. Uh, fantastic. The atmosphere in that was fantastic. Um, Some very nice tentacles player. on the walls. Uh, piano player. Yeah. Or mm. whatever he was. That boss. One of the best bosses I've ever seen in my life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, oh. it's just a shame that it's <laughs> horrible to get through. Oh, here we go. Not to worry. Let's um, co-op in it now. Not going to ever get anyone else to go through that with me. Hey, I'll do it with I'm you. all right, mate. No, I don't want to go through it. I, you go, you do it yourself. I've got a couple of my own. <laughs> <laughs> you and the Wii U, you get through it. Any combo <laughs> that you need. Um, for old school Resident Evil stuff, though, um, yeah, you're on about like the way that it, the, why the reason it's effective and everything. I think they do so much with perspective. It's why I miss um, fixed camera angle stuff because obviously you have, have you, did you get as far as the, the dog jump scare? Yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So things like that. Obviously, they became iconic for a reason. You have the reveal of the zombie, like you said. I think those things stick with people, but I think that reveal of, you go into a new room, you don't know what angle you're going to get, and then you see something right in the foreground, and you're just like, oh, it's just here with me right now. Like, I yeah. think that can be really, really 
really effective. Um, and that never gets done anymore. Like, I can't think of the, the medium kind of had fixed, well, not fixed, but kind of had like different styles of camera angles. Like, it's, some of them were over the shoulder, but you also had some that were in the top corners of rooms. But I feel like cinematography is so um, player driven. Like, it's so yep. just, it's on the right analog stick and that's it. That I like when a, um, a dev like really goes for, no, this is where the camera will be and you'll figure it out. I don't think we've really gotten to a point where we've modernized um, player movement with other camera angles. I feel like the default is, because it's always that thing of like you're holding up in one screen and then up is now left and it feels weird when it changes and whatever. Is that not because there was only one D-pad though back then? Yeah, but I mean, whenever anyone's like tried that recently, like even the right. new Escape from Monkey Island, like if you're oh, yeah. running off the screen one direction, they just make sure you're still running that direction, even if you're not holding the same direction yep. at the same time. Um, I feel like we haven't really got that down, but I miss fixed perspective horror. I think there's a lot more you could do with it. It's so, it's so good, man. Especially yeah. like those early James Dows. If you ever play the Resident Evil 1 remake, right, which keeps the base fundamentals of the Resident Evil that you're playing now, but makes it look. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Beautiful. It does ah, yeah. look beautiful. It's on the GameCube. Yes. It was, yeah. but it's it was mind-blowing on the GameCube. But, yeah, it is on PlayStation right now. So mm-hmm. if you do... PS Plus? Or I'm not... Don't think so. I don't know if it's on Plus, but it's definitely on the PlayStation Store. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Always in the sale as well. Anyway, yeah. the point is, yeah, the cinematography yeah. in that game is great and unsettling, and it's all down to those fixed camera angles, mm. because like Scott was saying there, you know, you can set the camera up exactly how you want it to frame a scene in a certain way, and then you have full control over the scares, essentially. Yeah. 
play, where the zombies are going to come from, and exactly what you're going to see and ramp up the tension that way. However, I will say that part of the reason that I'm so scared by Madison and games of its ilk, and have been for like the past decade since they re-rose to popularity, mm -hmm. is because you do have that granular control over the camera, especially in first person. Mm. Like, I love found footage horror movies, and part of the reason is because you're locked into that perspective. You're locked into these wild, erratic movements of a camera that is imitating someone's own eyeballs. Mm -hmm. And I love that you can replicate that directly with the analog stick in first-person games or a mouse if you're playing on PC. And for me, the horror as a player and not just someone watching someone play something is having that granular control over how slowly I'm going to turn around to see what's <laughs> behind me in the hesitation that I feel every single time mm -hmm. when there's a sound effect going off and I've got my headphones on and I know someone's breathing down my neck mm -hmm. and I don't want to turn around. In a movie, you have no option. The camera is going to yeah. move mm -hmm. when the camera moves here. Man, there's something about kind of, I feel giddy. I feel right. childlike <laughs> when I'm there and I know it's behind me and I'm moving it around very slowly because I can't just pull the plaster off and whip around. I thought uh, PT did that so well. And again, it's that whole thing of like not knowing the rules, not knowing what you're getting in for. But I remember when Sony first said there's a demo for PT on the store and not knowing what that was and then booting it up and realizing just like exploring the corridor, not really knowing at all what it was, what genre it was going to be or whatever. And then finding like the weird zombie theater thing in the sink and and then what the hell is this game? And then the first time you get grabbed by Lisa or Mary or whatever she's called. And like that whole thing, it, that was so effective um, because like you said, it was like exploring at your own pace and then them like having timers on different events that were going to happen um, and that being really, really effective. So is that not where VR will be way better though? Hell yeah, it is. James Spiders on your face. Yeah. Oh my God, hell yeah, it is. Because <laughs> of the VR I played when we played it in the office, it was a bullets game or something where people were shooting at me. And I was like doing all the bobbing yeah, and weaving yeah. out of the way. That was scary as well. Yeah. So I imagine, I've not played a horror game in VR, but I imagine it's good. Playing through um, Resident Evil 7 in VR right. was like a revelation yeah. for those exact reasons. I remember um, Resident Evil 7 had a demo called Kitchen Mm. In the in the on, for the PSVR and probably other products as well, where you're playing as a character who's tied to a chair, and all you can do is look left, right, behind you, and stuff. So you have full control over where you're looking. Mm -hmm. and you you are powerless when things come at you, and it's you can try to look away, but they will find you. There's a great bit where this monster is kind of like running around your chair, and you can't see it, so you can hear it scuttling to your left. So you look to your left; it's not there. You can hear it scuttling to your right, so you look right, it's not there. When you turn your head back <laughs> to face the front, it's of course there. It jumps up at you. It's one of the scariest things ever. So yeah, I think that you know whether you're playing with a controller or whether you're playing with VR, mm. having that control, having mm. that being an active participant of where you're looking, if the developer is a quality developer and can uh, you know really accommodate that, this, it's, it produces scares unlike anything else. I will say as well, like on, in that regard, I think VR has a really good bridge to other sensory stuff. Like I um, I forget that it's like the VR world demo you get with the PSVR where it's like a bunch of little demos and stuff. And one of them is like, um, so London Heist, which was like kind of like the getaway style spinoff thing. Like it's like a literal London Heist where you're in a van and doing loads of different things and um, your character like gets betrayed or whatever. And they're sort of, they're, they're being, just when you mentioned the whole thing about being tied to a chair, there's a scene in this uh, London Heist thing. I think it's in London Heist. It's in the, one of the demos anyway, 
um, where you're um, being interrogated and you're, you're strapped down. You can look around, like you said, and you're watching these two characters argue with each other about what they should do with you or something. And there's one point where one of them just turns and just decides to take you out. And it happens in a split second. They just stab you right in the stomach. And I remember in that moment, my stomach felt that, quote unquote, um, where I got like a tingle in it. And like, it wasn't like a pain, but I definitely got something in my stomach. And I was like, oh, my mind just filled that in. My mind just filled in that blank. And I know there's a lot of different literature and everything else, else out there about um, the reality of that. Like, you know, if you trick your brain kind of thing, um, wearing a VR headset and depends on the, you know, if some people have vertigo and they look over an edge or whatever it is. And I think that's kind of fascinating. And I kind of want to explore that a bit in horror. Um, I've also seen loads of reaction videos of, there's a, I forget what it's called, but there's a, might be might be the kill it with fire VR thing um, where people just look around a room and a spider jumps at their face. And I was like, there's going to be loads of them. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, even when we talked about fixed perspective stuff in Resident Evil, I'm sure it's in the remake, a spider walks across the, the lens you know, of one of the camera angles uh, or one of the creatures comes right across the lens. And I'm like, that's really effective. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if I want a whole generation of, or a medium of um, stuff in my eyes. <laughs> See, that's like the evolution of the TV, man. That's, that's where, Horror, gonna say bring it on, bring it on. Yeah, is perfected. Give it to me in full scale, mm-hmm. right in my eyeballs. I do think that, you know, we talk a lot about, well, I talk a lot about VR being the future of gaming, but I definitely Can't think stop, it's yeah. the future of horror. You know, I think mm. it's the next logical step because I think the more control, actually, the more control you have, the more you feel it when control is taken away from you. Yeah. And the lack yeah. of control in horror is essential to being scared, I think. So with VR, you have way more direct control of your surroundings. It's way more one-to-one. But that means when it's taken away and you feel powerless, mm. you feel it even more, I think. I kind of wanted to bring things back because I had a list of uh, certain games I was going to touch on. And uh, this year, in terms of some of the best horrors, Scorn is way up there. I know it's quite divisive. It's not like massively loved, James Dallas. How come? <laughs> <laughs> That you shake your head at Returnal. <laughs> what do you mean? But you liked Scorn. They're not remotely similar. <laughs> what, do, what do you mean in terms of like accessibility? It's just a terrible game versus good game, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> One of them's game of the year. Um, in regards to Scorn stuff, though, um, it's so relentlessly atmospheric, and I think that's one of the reasons that I, for me, it had such an immediate visual punch. I was immediately like, this is a gross, dripping, like postulant art direction. I love it. absolutely love what they're going for. I love the H.R. Geiger stuff. Um, but, I mean, James, you said you kind of bounced off it. Was yeah, it that more of a gameplay What thing? I said to you originally was, like, atmospheric game, atmospherically, that game is like beautiful. Mm. I would love more games in that style. Mm-hmm. I just didn't care that it was a puzzle game. Yeah, I think a lot That's of people were excited about yeah. that. Um, but visually, unreal. And I'd, as I say, I'd just love to play more games like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And I think we mentioned last time that part of its effectiveness when it comes to the atmosphere is that it feels like a PS1 game. Mm-hmm. Like obviously yeah. it doesn't look like a PS1 game. It's far beyond the technological limitations mm-hmm. of that thing. Mm-hmm. But in terms of its kind of like sound design, especially, I think it taps into, mm-hmm. like I said, you know, like a PS1 era 90s sort of industrial soundscape well, yeah. that we just don't get anymore. And that no. makes it feel mm-hmm. more natural. That's also the thing that I love about it <clears throat> is that it feels like you mentioned Tomb Raider before. I miss games that feel like you're tackling a 3D space. I feel like that's why Breath of the Wild was such a big because you can just climb anywhere and it was like you're not thinking in a vertical way for most games um, you're not necessarily climbing around in scorn but I think that it gives you such a big open space to figure out it's like here you go like figure this out it's like Mist. I don't know if you guys have played Mist, but it's kind of like the old puzzle first person puzzle games like Mist. Um, I like that approach to things overall. Um, we should talk about Returnal, though. I feel like Returnal is incredibly effective, and I love the story it tells. Like, by the time I got to the end of it, eventually, after 20 hours or whatever it was of literal agony and pain, I did think the overall story of someone being trapped was very effective. Is that why you guys like it, too? 100% for me. You know, like, 
the gameplay in Returnal was great, but mm. the story was like, an like unexpected, totally, mm. an unexpected icing on the cake. Like the idea of being trapped on that planet in the kind of internal horrors being external externalized that the protagonist feels in that game. I just didn't expect to have mm. that level of atmosphere and uh, thematic weight to the game going mm. into it. I thought it would just be, you know, a really good shooter, but it was yeah. something more, and it tapped into the horror side of it way more than I anticipated. And in a lot of ways, I'd actually say it was more of a horror game than Scorn. I don't know why I'm doing that voice. <laughs> uh, in terms of how That's it... your hot take voice. <laughs> in terms of how it scared me through its narrative yeah. and through its kind of the personal issues of the character, mm. whereas Scorn is great and I loved it. But um, to me, I found that kind of using a horror dressing to kind of just give you a pretty straightforward puzzle game, if that mm. makes sense. Whereas I found the horror dressing in Returnal a little bit more deep. I don't know if you guys would uh, agree with that. Returnal didn't even need it. It no, could have just yeah. been a shooter. Mm. But the story that they included was good from beginning to end, really. I like yeah. that twist. I think it's about halfway through the big twist of like her living an entire life and then when, when dying and then waking back up on the planet again. And it's like, that's a great like mind F. Yeah in terms of what, it, what the hell it would be like to go through that. It was very much a game that you had to go on YouTube afterwards and see what mm. other people thought yes. about what they can uh, think of what the story is. Because mm -hmm. in my opinion, I thought of something that wasn't what anybody else thought was the plot. And do you guys like that? Because I don't know why you guys come in down on ambiguity in games in general or mm. any kind of fiction. Mm. But, in, you know, in horror, we've talked about it so many times on this podcast already that it's down to your imagination, kind of filling in the blanks in some form. And I like it when a horror game or whatever gives me that ambiguous ending and then I have to figure it out. Like, I was the same as you, Douse. You know, I had no idea what the hell was going on by the end of Returnal or what specific images meant, and I had to go online. Mm. But at the same time, despite getting the kind of like straightforward answer to those questions, I still like the stuff that I came up with as yeah. well because yeah, I yeah. found that more personal and maybe more horrifying than yeah. what it ultimately quote unquote meant. Which the best horror should do anyway. It should it's it's like Inside. That was yeah. I love inside a weird so ending. Yeah. Um, personally, I preferred Limbo right. ending because that was very much like, oh, sugar, that's bad. <laughs> like, that was... But that really was an emotional ending. I remember thinking, actually, like, yeah, speaking of, like, viscerality or whatever, the, the way Inside goes, like, yeah. the, the I mean, whatever, like, it, Inside came out, like, eight years ago or something. Like, yeah, yeah. the whole the whole unleashing that creature thing at the end of Inside that you become part of, and there's all the metaphorical interpretations of whatever that thing is, but the reality of what you're watching unfold on screen, this, like, weird, like, mass of humans that are all mushed together, just um, breaking out of, like, a, a factory or whatever, like an office block, and then just smushing people against the wall, blood everywhere, everyone's screaming at you. I thought that was so effective. Like, make a really good use of physics on the thing that you were controlling and then just the breaking all context of how confined you were and then like breaking out of it and then you eventually get to the side of the beach and it ends and I was just like I thought that was incredibly effective and I thought it I thought the metaphor for that whole thing was like um, like insurrection and like um, taking control back from the people above you and whatever. Well, this is it, right? And this is what I love about horror games specifically. I think <clears throat> in the AAA space, when we get an action game or a big blockbuster, they're so concerned about being about nothing. They have a plot, they right. have characters, but how many times have we heard the line, oh, this game isn't political? This is so a Far Cry thing. 100%. Yeah. They're so desperate to be like ideologically barren, to not like, offend <laughs> anyone or piss off any sections, that uh -huh. they are ultimately about nothing. And then you yeah. don't have those kind of metaphorical readings for better or worse. But horror, like in all of its forms, has always been, you know, in part about allegory, about satire, about social commentary. It kind of has to be, doesn't it? 100%. Yeah. In, in, it has to be about something, ultimately, yeah. I think, to make you scared. And for as much as Returnal is a game about, you know, shooting 
cool aliens on cool <laughs> planets. It's also like we were saying, you know, a deeply personal story about mm. this this person and her relationship with her family and a grief for loss, aspirations, and all of that stuff. In the same with Inside, the same with Limbo, the same with whatever. Mm-hmm. Like being playing that perfect vermin which I was uh, talking about on the wind-up a few weeks ago, and that, again, on its surface, you know, doesn't have a direct um, kind of narrative. You're just kind of smashing things to bits. Okay. But then you kind of, like, you go further into it, and, and it's, like, something about... It's about something much deeper. It's about mm-hmm. something yeah. much more personal and kind of human, and it's actually making a point about something and mm. not just kind of being like, isn't this cool? Look at this guy. You know what I mean? If yeah, that makes yeah. Sense. I think overall as well, you said about ambiguity. For me, it's how much do they set something in motion? How much does it feel like they run out of time? Or like, does it feel like they give you enough pieces to work with? Returnal has a ton of pieces to work with. Returnal will always be the game that I wish I loved. Like, it looks incredible. Like, I mean, I, I just wish I had a better time with it. I had the single most worst time with our game, with that game. Um, but in terms of the elements it gives you, like you said, when you finally get to the end, you want to learn more. You want to like read about interpretations, or you want to like look at the the cutscenes in a row or something, um, or whatever. Whereas for me, my go to um, in terms of something that was just too ambiguous, and it's only a film reference, um, was it comes at night. Mm. It was just the movie that was. I think the trailers played a part in what they kind of led to, and all oh, this some creature, something is out there, something is attacking the uh, the family during the night. And I guess spoilers for that movie, but it's nothing. There's nothing at all there, and that's kind of the point. But like whatever, and. I'm I'm just like, it's one of those things where I think ambiguity can be strong, um, but I still need something in motion. I think I need something to work with. Yeah. Nope didn't scare me. Right. Same. Recently. I backed up. Yeah. yeah. I thought Nope was a terrible. Oh, I know. Yeah. He brutalizes me. Get Out does. was his only good film. Oh, he brutalizes <laughs> me, he does. Get Out's not even a Jordan Peele's best movie, Scott Tilford. Was he's good. It's all right. It's all right, yeah. I had so much promise and it falls the F apart at the end. When I went to the cinema with my girlfriend seen Nope, she laughed more than she was scared. Right. You know what? She was like, what? Giant cowboy hat squid coming out. It's in the cinema still, isn't it? I'd argue, right, with Nope, that's not even... I I reckon that's kind of by design. Like, Nope, I think, is a horror movie. It always is is like a blockbuster disaster movie, like disguised as a horror movie. Like, I think Mm. it intentionally pivots halfway through to be more like a... Jaws than a get yeah. out. Oh, but the, the opening scene is like so effective and scary, and then they don't really do anything with it. That's what I mean. Like disguise. Mm. I would say the same thing about Jaws. You know what I mean? Like the first scene is mm. terrifying, and then it's a summer blockbuster after that, and it still has scary elements. Yeah, of Jaws, yeah. but it's yeah. it's broader than mm-hmm. it first appears, perhaps. So, it, so in that terms, what horror game do you feel like gave you that kind of nope feeling where you went you wanted better? And it wasn't as good. Is there any horror game? Mine would be Amnesia because um, I'd heard so much about Amnesia and like the uh, Doctor Scent is the one that everyone holds up, and I I didn't hadn't played that at the time. And then I got the opportunity to have a code for Machine for Pigs back in I think it was 2014 or maybe 2013. And um, yeah, going into that and having such a great run up, then it just falling apart. And like that would be the thing with us to to do a Jordan Peele comparison is that I thought that was laid out so well, and then it was just at the end, it just it kind of just didn't make any more sense. You're saying. You know what? It's, it's going to sound like a bit, but it's amnesia <laughs> as well. I got to it a little bit late. Uh, Dr. Sent. Uh, yes, the very mm. first one, yeah. And I got to it. It just wasn't... It wasn't... It's, an, it's a me thing. It's not my brand of horror. Like, I don't mm. necessarily love gothic horror, or I quite like it and can, pre- can appreciate it, mm. but I can't get as scared about it that I can other subgenres. So oh, when I mean. went into that and I kind of had the kind of in my opinion, a little bit hammy voice acting and you had the big kind of like gothic uh, setting and stuff. I thought it was cool, but I I was so waiting for it to just knock my socks off and scare me that it didn't quite 
achieve that for whatever reason, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, what about yeah. yourself, Chips? I unfortunately can't say I have one because I don't play enough All of horror. Them. I don't play enough horror for me to have something to be disappointed. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe that original Resident Evil, if that hasn't grabbed you yet. I, I never said it hadn't, though. Mm. I'd, I'm still playing it, mm -hmm. but I just, I just don't like the load times. That's what puts me <laughs> off. But I am in that world. Yeah. I've not stopped playing it for That's two good. days now. Mm -hmm. um, Let me ask this then, because obviously, you know, we, we were talking about streaming. We were mm -hmm. talking about YouTube as reacting to horror things. And obviously yeah. now I think a lot of horror games are experienced passively through Twitch or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. People, you know, love to watch uh, other people play horror games. Mm -hmm. You know, I play a lot of them with my girlfriend who would never, ever play them, but enjoys the kind of idea of experience them, experiencing them as a movie while I play them. Like, are there any games that you've hated playing but have really enjoyed either watching someone else play it or just kind of like <laughs> you love the idea of them more than you love the act of playing them because you might like the richness of the horrific imagery of the I was world gonna, or the mythology or whatever. What I was going to mention anyway, we'll wrap this part up soon, but I was going to mention uh, Elden Ring because you were saying you didn't play many yeah. horror games, but Elden Ring has such a strand of horror that is kind of born out of Bloodborne and Hidesaka uh, Miyazaki learning how to thread games with terrifying visuals mm -hmm. or locking you in a room with some twisted, weird, contorting thing that you've just got to deal with. Yeah, that big snake in Elden Ring was scary. Yeah, there's um, loads of stuff like and that. And Godskin Duo as well. That was creepy. Yeah. <laughs> I'd probably say uh, Dead Space for that one. Nice. I've not played played it yes and i respect the world uh but i wasn't interested for it in 2008 when it came out mm -hmm. I, I think, yeah yeah it was my brother my brother used to play it and i used to be one of those annoying little brothers who watched them play games <laughs> whilst i just commentated but i am very very excited for the remake mm -hmm. and clistical protocol yeah, Clistical is so yeah. Good. that looks so good i can't wait for that thing it's, yeah. i love the the big bad battle that we've got on our hands between the two although didn't dead space get pushed back are they both coming out next to each other again i think it's still uh mm. Callisto in december and yes january for dead yeah. space right right because right. yeah Callisto got went gold uh, last week or something so yeah. that's still for like December 2nd. But that was a world I wasn't interested in until I saw it in the remake and I went that's a lot scarier now. Ah right. I want to delve into that. Oh, oh see, that's really yeah. cool. Space horror would be the thing I would shout out like yeah. I um, I got to I love the thing because you just don't know what it is like where did mm. it come from what does it want how does it think how does it move like what the hell is its cellular makeup like yes. all that stuff divorce me from the rules of the earth like I want something that like is you know coming from somewhere that I have no idea and sometimes that can be eldritch horror or like Lovecraftian stuff but that's still kind of a bit too um, magic-based, I guess. Um, whereas I like a, a, an entity, like a, a real thing. I love, um, we keep on talking about movies a lot, um, but I think it's called Life, that movie with, um, is it Ryan Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds and Jake Gyllenhaal, I think. Yeah, I think so. That was like the thing in space. And I just love that. Just, yeah. I love the idea of like crew finds thing. And if you can do that setup well, then I'm a huge fan. First off, do Divorce it. Me From The Rules Of The Earth is such a great title for something. <laughs> Thank you. Two, I agree so much. James Douts, you mentioned like uh, Dark Souls and Elden Ring there. And I think cool. Dark Souls especially mm. is, is such a great horror game mm. because you don't know the rules of that place. You don't know what is behind yeah. the next corner. You can never, I, until you have finished the game in totality, you don't have a fundamental grasp of what is going on, or even where you are. Mm -hmm. And I love the moments, you know, people have talked about it before, where you go to the depths and you think, that's quite far underground. <laughs> and then you end up in Blight Town and you think, I must be at the bottom now. And then you get to Ash Lake, which is impossibly mm. under all of it. And it's in like another civilization. Mm. And it's something that's been long forgotten. And you kind of feel like 
an anomaly at that point. Yeah. You feel like you don't belong here. And I love the feeling that it gives you of, you don't belong. This no. world hates you. Yeah. Uh, and you don't belong here. And the overwhelming sense of dread that I think comes from that makes Dark Souls and some of the other FromSoft games, like great horror games. Mm -hmm. I'd 100% agree with that. That was the most nervous I've been. And I think it was because, was it the House of, what's that magic place called where it's all the jump scares? Not jump scares, all the um, things that fly out. Sen's Fortress. Is that the place? Maybe. That they have like swinging axes and yeah, that place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the most scared I've been. Oh, because okay. every time I'd cross a bridge with all the swinging axes, a lizard would come out and kill me. <laughs> and that was, the tension there was unreal. I was on the edge of my seat for that. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. like what I was talking about before about Resident Evil, where like, in my opinion, I wouldn't say the lizards as a design are particularly scary. Mm -hmm. but when you get like a set of mechanics that um, puts the pressure on you. Yeah. Suddenly, that entire set piece is like one of the scariest things mm. in a non-horror game you've ever played. Yeah. I think folding in like yeah, nervousness and like like preparation, a certain amount of preparation you can do. You don't know what's going to come at you. Like I say, you don't know the rules of the world. Um, I think the, one of the things they got around as well that idea of like checkpoint horror or, or checkpointing, negating horror is that in Souls or Souls games, everything carries over. Like yes, you'll drop your items, but you're still you. Like it's still time is still moving forward. Like you've like warped back to a place, and um, you can go back and get your stuff. For me, I remember that that realization of like oh, I can't escape because I can't reset. Um, I have to just keep going and try again and like eventually get managed to get through something. I think that can be really um, effective as well. Um, we should wrap the podcast though. Massive can I say out. one thing though? You can say one thing. Jimmy. I think the scariest thing ever and you've got it wrote down. Okay. Uh, it takes two's elephant scene. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to get to specific scenes if we had time and uh, we that's should talk about scariest. it takes two's elephant scene. That's the scariest thing ever. That's just, just, that's just horrible. Seeing a baby elephant scream, that's not cry. Good. As you and rip and his beg arms to off. be friends. Just yeah. say, can we please be friends? Stop yeah. trying to kill me. And yeah. you just, I mean, I hate those Those two characters are the worst. They're, yeah. Just dancing in, literally, I sounds like a bit, dancing in their children's tears. Mm -hmm. Just <laughs> yeah. horrendous. Yeah. Just that, the, that's horror to me. I'm yeah. so pleased I didn't get that far because that sounds terrifying. Oh my God. It is the only game I've ever played where I hated the middle because it right. was so long. It's way too long. But when I completed it, I was like, that was one of the best games I ever played. Yeah. I think it's, it's the best, one of the best co-op games I've yeah, ever played. It's yeah. well worth uh, playing with your girlfriend kind of game. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Yeah, I would say play through anything you could, if you want to play through something with a partner, it's like yeah. Unravel 2 or that are my two go-tos. But that yeah. scene yeah. made me question Joseph Farris's entire <laughs> life <laughs> outlook. I was like, yeah. what happened to you when you were younger, dude? Yeah. Like, what the hell yeah. is that? Um, but yes, this has been the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Hilford, joined by James Dows. Thank you. And joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, fellas. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.